0: Overhead is talent. Overhead is people. Overhead is dreams and vision. And a
2: conscious decision about where you want your dollars to go. The
0: pledges and the money that actually
3: materialized was very different. They still aren't quite connected or or really understand the needs of that community. They may not be comfortable to those individuals who are part of the status quo. Oh, you know, they can just pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Like, what does that mean? Yeah, <laughs> you right, know. So right. we are wildly generous community.
2: There are people who define what's good in a way that's different from how we might might define what's good.
1: No matter the month, nonprofit organizations are focused on mission and money. But August, which is Black Philanthropy Month, holds special significance for nonprofits helmed by black leaders and dedicated to support from mostly black community members. And in St. Louis, which enjoys a certain reputation for charitability, including but certainly not limited to the annual Give STL Day, August presents an opportunity to ask folks to consider the what's, where's, and how's for ways to hashtag Give Black, regardless of what's in media headlines and at any time of the calendar year. Joining me in studio to talk about that and the realities of raising support for local Black-led, Black-centered nonprofits, we have three St. Louisans with a broad range of experiences. Joining me in studio to talk about that and the realities of raising support for local Black led, Black centered nonprofits, we have three St. Louisans with a broad range of experiences. First, we have MK Stallings, founder of Herb Arts, a community based 501c3 with dedicated space in the Old North neighborhood of St. Louis. He's also the research and evaluation manager at the Regional Arts Commission. Welcome, MK. Thank you. We've also got Rachel D'Souza, who's founder and principal of Gladiator Consulting. She serves as well as president-elect of the local chapter of the Association of Fundraising Professionals and a sitting member of the Global Council of the Community Centric Fundraising Movement. Welcome to you. Glad to be here. And Shelley Williams, Executive Director of Access Academies. That is a nonprofit. That propels middle school students who've been historically underserved through high school and on to college and career success with enrichment counseling and scholarships and also through the mid-2010s shelley was past director of the national public media initiative american graduate thank you for having me ellen so glad to have you all on today so there was some space there with the intros and then the intro to the the show and like to know a little bit about uh, the work and titles I described and how fundraising has been part of your work both past and present and MK let's start with you
2: sure uh, again it's a pleasure to be here on with you you know it— so, back in nineteen eighty nine, I founded this organization. Uh, it, it was just Urban Artist Alliance, and we wanted to do you know, open mics and things of that nature, just making space for artists. Uh, so, our first introduction into fundraising was through revenue generation, you know, through events, uh, ticketing, and such. So for me, it's very much so about you know engaging the community, uh, having the community being the ultimate arbiter of what's good about what we do, and they make the decision by supporting us through ticketed uh, uh, purchases at our events over time. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of been my my history with it, the, and then beyond that, it's just been about writing grants and asking people really begging, you know, uh, the kind of yeah. support <laughs> on some <laughs> level or another, uh-huh. uh, but in, in, with various degrees of success.
1: Okay. So. Shelley, how about you?
3: Sure. So um, just sort of going back to my work with uh, PBS, right, with, with Nine PBS, um, I mean, that was funding at both the national and the local level. So um, a lot of grants um, that were written, um, a lot of conversations and meetings and, Um, really trying to better understand um, at the the core of it, you know, what the donor is trying to achieve, right, with the funds that they have to support the community and how we can best partner together. Mm -hmm. Um, And so sometimes that's answering an RFP and you never get to meet the donor. Uh Other times it's, you know, a lunch and then there's funding, right? So it really does vary um, how I've been engaged in the funding and the philanthropy process.
1: Mm -hmm. So Rachel Gladiator Consulting, um, what is it and what was it created to do?
0: Sure, so I started Gladiator back in 2015. And, you know, really had the hope to bring um, a slightly non traditional lens to the idea of organizing money and fundraising for nonprofit organizations. Um, I had fundraised directly for organizations with an international reputation um, and organizations that were very local in nature, um, and kept bumping up against these themes that, you know, what donors and funders felt passionate about supporting with their dollars and what community and organizations really needed to thrive weren't lining up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so wanted to sort of push on um, those parties to start talking to each other a little mm-hmm. bit more, maybe taking some risks um, in terms of, of how we think about grant making or how we think about donations, and really um, get to a point where our institutions here in St. Louis you know, aren't just you know, scrapping resources together month to month or, you know, budget year over budget year, but could really have the resources they need to create lasting change. Mm
1: -hmm. So what you're describing as far as kind of a uh, Mm hand-to-mouth existence is recalling some of what we've talked about, MK. How would you describe um, what your place has been and with the organizations that you've worked with Mm in the local nonprofit environment or ecosystem?
2: I would say we're very much so a part of the black arts movement tradition in terms of being poorly funded and having the funding being subject to approval by bodies that may feel comfortable or uncomfortable about what you present. So oftentimes it makes us have to just do our own thing. And that's the reason why having the Community being supporters through ticket buys uh, becomes essential because otherwise mm-hmm. there may not be enough money generated. So no, it's 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 very much very much so been a, a grassroots struggle, and it has to be a grassroots struggle just because the powers that be and the monies that be don't necessarily want to support the sort of change that we want to see mm-hmm. manifested in the region. Uh, and again, it's not it, it's it's a, because of my sociological background. I'd want to kind of go into different spaces with it, but but ultimately, there are people who define what's good in a way that's different from how we might might define what's good. Mm-hmm. And that sort of uh, disconnect creates problems in the funding space.
1: Yeah. So when it comes to art, everyone has their own tastes. And so it's, it's subjective, we could say. Shelley, with the work that you're doing currently around education, it's hard to find someone who would say that education is not something to support. What kinds of challenges um, are there uh, in, again, sort of this le- local ecosystem and all of the uh, the other organizations that exist somehow to
3: support education? Sure. So um, for me, I'm actually in a situation where um, we were founded by John Baderey, um in 2005. And so there is a, a very large family that supports and, and lots of friends um, that support that are associated with that. And so um, throughout the years, uh, you know, we've been very fortunate to have that consistent, you know, kind of flow, um, you know, coming to us as far as, you know, people understanding why education is important. So mm-hmm. that has not been a challenge for our organization per se. Yeah, Um. But, at the same time, um where we're trying to grow is how do we get beyond our traditional audience, right? that is now aging out um, and trying to find and bring in new supporters um, that also, look like our children um, Mm -hmm. because that's another important piece of that is that our kids see um, that they are being supported by people of color um, and that that is something that they that that they can recognize um, as you know we do our events as well that our board that we've got a diverse board um, Mm -hmm. you know there's black leadership since I'm leading but there also needs to be a diverse board so that there are people that are representing their thoughts their ideas their ambitions and Mm -hmm. also empowering them
1: so we're talking about sort of many different groups of people. And Rachel, you were speaking earlier about getting you know different parties to talk to each other. Before we get to that part though, let's talk about what the fundraising landscape in St. Louis has been both in the past and the present. So Rachel, how would you characterize who gives
0: here? Sure. So one thing I will say about St. Louis is that we are a wildly generous community, um, both uh, consistently year over year and in moments of crisis or episodic giving. there is also a value placed on who gives and how much they give Um, and and that starts to cause a little bit of I think the discrepancies we see Uh, back in I think 2020 the philanthropic initiative for racial equity released a report called mismatched and they essentially looked at giving um, from 2015 to 18 and then they made some predictions about 2020 but really found a couple things. Um, there is a huge gap between donors and funders who pledge to support Black-led or Black-centered organizations um, and and in the sort of subcategories of racial justice and racial equity, right? Um, And it's very problematic honestly because the pledges and the material the money that actually materialized was very different Mm, um and and what i've seen you know in the st louis region is that we honestly mimic those same national patterns um we have an abundance of incredible organizations that are black centered and black led. Um, but, you know, for lack of understanding, for lack of relationship, um, and honestly, also for lack of proximity, we don't have a lot of people with access to resources or wealth who are in deep relationship with some of these organizations. And in that absence of relationship and trust, these organizations aren't being funded. Mm-hmm.
1: This also gets to a point that I want to make sure we clarify, because Black-led is not necessarily the same thing as Black-serving. And this has been a point of conversation that I've been part of over the years. What sort of misconceptions or misunderstandings are there around that, Uh, MK?
2: Again, if we use the Black Arts Movement as you know, more of an arts background as an example, uh, the reason why was. was it was so important to begin to cultivate and develop a black aesthetic means that it comes out of these spaces these cultural spaces where you find certain things to be beautiful you 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 have certain tastes that are kind of shaped by your experience in america and if you think about the american experience for african americans over the centuries it's been one of domination and repression uh the need for resilience and liberation right so that means you're going to have certain themes themes that come out of the art that may not be comfortable to those individuals who are part of the status quo and and so a lot of my uh, <laughs> so a lot of my experience is is, a, is centered in that space where you have to be able to honor what you value. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it can't be diminished. It can't be marginalized. And so that means that when you have a, a an organization that's black led, they have to serve the interest of a broad, non-specific mission. Whereas with us, we have to uplift black artists where they are and where they want to go. Yeah. And that's a very big difference between doing something that is general and nondescript versus something that's very specific and about liberation, Mm -hmm. about not just resilience, but about joy. How do you get to a space of joy, Mm -hmm. you know, where you can just be content with who you are and and walk around unencumbered by people's views of you, right? You want to just be free, but how do you get to freedom? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there aren't funding mechanisms that want to ensure that level of black joy so yeah, so that's that's kinda how my how I see it. And I think that when you're black led, you can't serve that. It's harder to. Yeah. Because there are long traditions within certain communities that don't even understand the question. Yeah. Don't even get why we're talking about this still. In other communities, that very much so see this as being a present conversation. Just as Rachel mentioned a moment ago, this whole notion about, and I'll, I'll wrap my thoughts up with this, <laughs> this whole notion that there are certain communities uh, communities that might be disconnected from uh, the, the experiences of, uh, of Black-led and Black-centered organizations, or, just, or Black artists, or Black whomever, uh, Part of that struggle is that they don't necessarily view themselves in relationship, in solidarity, but where that leads us is to a situation where they don't even see the relevance of the conversation. So back in 1960s, St. Louis, they had issues with that. And, uh, and so it's now surprising that we still see issues with it in 2020 from mm-hmm. that report.
1: We're gonna take a very quick break. This is St. Louis on the air on St. Louis Public Radio. Now, back to our conversation about fundraising and Black-led, Black-serving nonprofits in the St. Louis area. We've been speaking with Shelley Williams, Rachel D'Souza, and MK Stallings. So, Shelley, before the break, we were talking about Black-led, Black-serving, not the same thing, and your organization is not Black-serving, sort of in the, the mission statement, but effectively, most of the students you're working with are Black students, so I mean, how do you, how do you sort of work with or around that, given, um, given what philanthropy has been
3: around education in the St. Louis region? Sure. So I would say um, my maybe go-to or main strategy there is really educating the donor. <laughs> Um, because you can have um, individuals, and, and this is, you know, we're in multiple places that I've worked, but you can have individuals that have supported um, a mission for a very long time. Um, it makes them feel great to be supporting that mission, um, but they still aren't quite connected or, or really understand the needs of that community. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I sort of first did when I joined um, Access Academies You know, we had our annual celebration dinner that's always in um, June, and I really wanted to take the opportunity to tell the story from our students' perspective. Mm -hmm. So we um, ended up sort of producing a little mini documentary, you know, only 20 minutes long, but that little mini documentary versus, you know, just a, hey, learn about access make you feel good about giving, it it really was the intent was to take a deeper dive into the lives of our kids. And we let our kids lead that process. So we mm-hmm. gathered them and said, you know, how would you, what would you like someone that supports access to know about you, about your friends, about your community? And what you saw were these beautiful stories about these students that we love our families, our families love us, us and support us. Um, you know, with the right support and resources, we're able to achieve so many great things. Mm -hmm. You got to see their dreams. They weren't limited in their thoughts. Um, And they really do, um, you know, appreciate the support that they do receive. But you got to see that from the perspective of, I'm a kid, I'm an everyday kid, and I'm trying to make it, I'm really trying to do my best. So I love to take those depending on the donor, right? Some donors, you need the stats and the facts and all the information. Others, you really need those personal stories to help move them along the path to help them learn, because you will get comments like, oh, you know, they can just pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Like, what does that mean? Yeah, (laughs) You know, so without really realizing that there's a whole ton of systems that are literally designed to hold them back, Um, So I take it even when I am, um, whether I'm requesting funding, whether I'm reporting on funding received, whether it's a conversation I have to just talk about young people in St. Louis and how that their growth really does move the region forward, I want you to understand who our kids are mm-hmm. um, so I see in a lot of ways that I'm representing them in these rooms that they don't have the privilege to be in right but I try to carry them with me and um, in, in, in every way that I can mm-hmm. and really think about you know what would my kids say in this situation how do they really feel yeah um, and and put them in a position where they are empowered um, and that they are able to be as MK was saying free yeah. themselves that they don't have to shy away or slick their hair back because they're meeting with a donor, you know, Mm -hmm. so those are all things that are very um, important when you think about kind of shifting that dynamic, not just from the funding perspective, but how we interact with the people we serve in Mm -hmm. general.
1: Right. Now, before the break, uh, Rachel, you had said that St. Louis is wildly generous. That's a quote. Now, in an April 2023 article in the Stanford Social Innovation Review called um, BIPOC Organizations and the Hamster Wheel of Philanthropy, there's a line there that says black-led nonprofit organizations have 76% less unrestricted net assets compared to white-led organizations. Rachel, can you unpack that unrestricted net assets part like as, as simply and quickly as possible and maybe provide an example of why unrestricted makes such a difference?
0: Absolutely, so um, let's let's have a little history lesson real quick. Um, you know, the first thing that I'll say is I wanna still sit with the um, reality that at its root philanthropy means the love of humankind. That's what it means. Um, And and in the United States, and over the course of the last 100 or 50 years, we have come to think of philanthropy as money and money from wealthy people or money from wildly wealthy people. I think when I ask this question, who is a philanthropist, most people in the room who support nonprofits or who are generous with their resources wouldn't call themselves a philanthropist. They think of Mackenzie Scott's or they think of the Gates, right? They think of these ultra wealthy folks. Um, It is really a lot of those wealthy folks who have driven the policies that our nonprofit communities and foundations function under. And I wanna say very clearly that when we think about the systems that we're in, when we think about the policies that govern the sector, they weren't created for nonprofits to solve problems. They weren't created for us to be successful. Mm -hmm. They were created to provide a benefit to people who gave to nonprofit organization. So let's, let's just leave that for a second. When we talk about unrestricted resources for an organization, it means that a donor or whomever is giving says, hey, organization, you get to decide what to do with the resources that I am sharing with you. Oftentimes in this space, whether it's institutional philanthropy or individual, gifts can come with strings attached. We will fund a program, we will fund evaluation, we will fund a component of things, and that leaves organizations and causes scratching their heads, first trying to figure out well, how do I get the rest of the resources I need to execute this program? But also, how do we operate? Mm. Um, You know, we oftentimes hear that folks don't want to fund overhead. Overhead is talent. Overhead is people. Overhead is dreams and vision. So if our philanthropy community can't get behind that baseline support, our organizations are never going to be able to meet their mission Mm -hmm. or their vision.
1: And that is something, Okay, you and I had talked about in um, our sort of pre-interview, that there are other ways that organizations um, will like partner, but it's partner with quotation marks around it. Speak a little bit to that and how it is connected to what Rachel is talking about as far as overhead and operation and like paying people.
2: Yeah. Um, so uh, we're very much so a volunteer organization. We tried to uh, have staff, just couldn't afford it, couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> and because uh, if all your funds are tied into programs, uh, then that means that all of your staff has to do those programs. Otherwise, they're not going to get paid anything, right? Um, so what i've experienced in the past or what we've experienced in the past is that organizations will partner with us because we look black you know we look black on paper we look black in the community we just look black and so, and so to kind of get that uh, those points for collaboration, uh, particularly collaboration with the Black-led, Black-centered organization, they'll try to partner with us. But that's not really partnership. Uh, what they really want to do is contract with us. But they need to elevate us to like a peer status in order for it to seem convincing. And so that sort of tokenism is very much so. Uh, Something that we've experienced. And I, and I don't imagine that's very different from a lot of black senator organizations out there if they play the game. And by the game, I mean uh, be subject to these white supremacist notions of what a black person should do for their community.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, Shelley, you had talked about some funding uh, uh, that helped with a very specific part of development. Can you talk about how that kind of grant funding is uh, is something that helps the sustainability of an organization, not just like yours, but others?
3: Sure. So um, when I first joined Access, um, it just so happened that St. Louis Community Foundation uh, put out a request for proposals or introduced a new grant to support um, capacity building for Black-led organizations. Um, and so you could really sort of define that as you wanted to and submit your <laughs> grant and hopefully, you know, cross your fingers, hope, hope that you got it. Um, and we were very fortunate to, to receive that support. Um, and, and what was really important about that was for me to think strate- strategically about how to best use that funding, not in the moment and in the time. We are very small staff. But how do I make sure that that money would then kind of seed knowledge, professional development, opportunities that then would grow legs? And so part of that funding actually, um, I mean, I had to apply for this program, but I was able to get into Focus St. Louis, Leadership St. Louis. That then allowed me to create a brand new bracket of friends and um, partners, people that are sort of mission aligned with Elevating St. Louis and those connections are now, you know, you know, the the fruits of that labor, right? Like I'm not, I'm now, I'm starting to see that um, there are people that want to connect to Access Academies differently than they have in the past, or didn't even know about our organization. Um, So just really thinking about, okay, I'm giving myself this full year with Focus St. Louis to really obtain this information, this knowledge. I'm taking these Fridays (laughs) every month um, to participate in this really great programming and learning more about my city. But I'm also creating and building this new network. And as I said earlier, that's part of one of our goals strategically is how do we get beyond the donors that we traditionally have had at ACCESS. So not only do you have staff that are, um, you know, doing the work, but do they really understand the larger systemic issues? So mm-hmm. how do I use that funding to give them the deeper dive so that they really understand um, the kids that they're working with and, and uh, the you know, if they're, you know, supporting our development work, et cetera, like they see their role and they understand the bigger picture and the larger systems at play and not that they just show up every day to do a job. Yeah. Um so there there have been a lot of ways that we've used that funding but it's it it's, it's been great to have that unrestricted opportunity to really kind of dream and have that vision as Rachel was saying yeah. and then get that funding, obtain it and then really leverage it.
1: So Rachel, you had said earlier philanthropy um Etymologically, it's love of mankind. It shouldn't be a characteristic that is restricted to people with lots of money. So in in the spirit of education for everyone in, in these last minutes, I'd like each of you to give us maybe one tops two very simple, like quick takeaways that can help folks who want to hashtag give black and just give black whether there's a hashtag or not. You um, should give better when it comes to closing support gaps for nonprofits here in St. Louis. Let's start with you, MK. I,
2: I think the key is educating yourself about what the philanthropic nonprofit landscape looks like and making a decision, a conscious decision, about where you want your dollars to go to kind of uplift groups that have historically not received. Uh, an equitable share of what's out there, and, uh, and, and to that end, there are opportunities such as stuff that I'm going to present later on in the fall, where we'll talk about the philanthropic and the the organizational landscape of nonprofit organizations, and you know, hopefully, people will attend that. That way, we can kind of talk more about and look at what the the pie looks like. Mm-hmm. So.
1: We'll include that in our
0: our web post, Rachel. Sure. So, um, as you mentioned, August is uh, Black Philanthropy Month, and we have um, coming up on August twenty eighth, Give Black Day. Um, I think one easy thing folks can do is hop on the St. Louis Community Foundation's website um, and get connected with those organizations and. Give to an organization you don't know a lot about. Um, you know, be proactive in building that relationship. Um, and I, I gotta, I gotta put some responsibility on the shoulders of my nonprofit friends. We have to get a little bit braver about having difficult conversations with our donors. Um, so opening that door. Okay.
3: And Shelly, last minute. Um, I'm gonna go very similar with MK and say uh, education is definitely key, um, and not just kind of who, where, why you give, um, your passion that you have, but also um, really understanding, right? So if you're giving money, are you, are you voting the same way, right? Like, are you voting against, kind of in a way like organizations um, that you're, you're supporting with your dollar? So really thinking and taking that deeper dive, have conversations with the people that you're serving will really go a long way.
1: Shelly Williams is executive director of Access Academies and past director of the National Public Media Initiative, American Graduate. Rachel D'Souza is founder and principal of Gladiator Consulting and president-elect of the local chapter of the Association of Fundraising Professionals and a sitting member of the Global Council of the Community-Centric Fundraising Movement. And M.K. Stallings is the founder of Herb Arts, based in the Old North neighborhood, and research and evaluation manager with the Regional Arts Commission. Thank you all so much for joining us today.
0: Thank Thank you for having us.
1: This episode was produced
2: by Elaine Cha. Our audio engineer is Aaron Doerr. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron.
0: Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer.
2: St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio.
0: Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life
2: Creative Group.
0: Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks.
1: St. Louis Public Radio is a member supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis.
2: Support comes from Missouri Forest
0: Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a 10 billion dollar industry choosewood.com.